This week on the Vergecast, we talk about Apple's new 16-inch MacBook Pro. The new Mac Pro is coming out in December. We get into the new folding Motorola Razor. Dieter has many emotions about RCS. And then Julia Alexander joins us to talk about the launch of Disney Plus in the streaming wars. That's Vergecast coming up now. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology, Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. Wow, that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him, the sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield, so he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are an APY. APY can change at any time. Hello and welcome to the Vergecast, flagship podcast of scissor switches. Wow. Yeah? Mm. It's a thing. I'm Neil. I'm your friend. Dieter Bone is here in New York. I like butterflies. Interesting. Butterflies are great. They're just notoriously unreliable. <laughs> if you're trying to depend on a monarch, you know what I'm saying? Paul Miller is here. Hello. Cherry MX Browns, please. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're obviously going to talk about the new MacBook Pro with its updated keyboard it's stubborn insistence on having a touch bar. Uh, but in, in the Razor, the Motorola Razor is out. There's the Disney Plus launched a big week of news. Before we do that, I just want to call out uh, Verge reporter Josh Jezza. Incredible story this week. The Everything Town in the middle of nowhere. Josh is on this beat of uh, technology companies making like, small towns in America do wild things. Yeah. It's like all the Fox on stories are Josh. He wrote this story about Amazon Nomads, the people who just like live in vans. Buying stuff from like Target's in the middle of nowhere and trying to sell them on, on Amazon. And he's got this new story about a little town in Montana where all the Amazon prep centers have like located. Yeah. So if you don't know, if in Amazon, to get a thing in an Amazon warehouse, it has to meet Amazon's like specs for like working in the warehouse. The box has to be the right size, blah, 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 blah. And so uh, there are these prep centers where people will take stuff from Target or wherever it comes from, fix it up so it actually can go in, a, in an Amazon warehouse and then ship it off to the Amazon warehouse. And this story is amazing because it's um, it's like there's just one woman in this tiny little town who's like, I could do that. And she just started doing it. And then all of a sudden the whole town, like all the women in the town started opening up prep yeah. centers. It's amazing. It's impossible to do the story justice. Go read it. I yeah. just want to call it out. It's, there, there's all this like gadgety news and Disney Plus news. Julia Alexander is going to join us later to talk about Disney Plus. There's all that stuff going on. But this is one of those stories that's just like, it's what The Verge is for, right? Like technology and shopping and like there's an emergent behavior of just like, the person is like, actually, this is pretty inefficient. Like, I just, I just move boxes around. <laughs> Amazon should be better at this. Go read it; it's really good. Okay, Dieter, you're in town, yeah, because of this computer. I am, yeah. Which I, I guess, in many ways, Dieter is always in town because of the computer. <laughs> uh, but this is we, we both have them sitting in front of us. Yep. 16 inch MacBook Pros. Yeah. Although the the 16 inches is is weird because the. I think the 15 inch was like 15.4, so the actual increase in screen size it looks impressive because the bezels are smaller, but it's actually not that much bigger. Yeah, they, yeah I think whatever. they just went up a number. Yeah, 
Like you do. It yeah, looks like good. Fine. It's a great screen. It's a, it's a very nice screen. We, we, we both got review units. You're working on the review. But just the sort of announcement response to this computer mm-hmm. is a story, regardless of the value. We'll talk about the review next week. But people have been waiting a long time for this computer. Yeah. There's long time. A, an entire backstory about this keyboard that we're just going to have to talk about. And I don't know, the theme of Apple, it's, <laughs> there's so much. There, there's layers and layers of meaning with this laptop. Yeah. I was just, uh, here's my sum up of Apple over the past like five years. No, Neil, let me try. Okay. Oh, God. You know, in sports movies, I just watched um, Miracle on Disney Plus last mm. night. You know, in sports movies, the very important thing is that the penultimate game against the Hawks or the the Soviet Union, you know, is a horrible defeat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I understand what you're saying, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. But the, the arc of a sports movie uh-huh. is not that like the, they suffer the horrible defeat, and then the Mighty Ducks get in a room, and they're like, "We should just do the obvious thing and win," <laughs> right? Like they have to like try hard. They have to like reach into their soul. Yes, it was inside of them all along. No, but the power to the, be the the, the 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 sports movies are inspiring. This is just like. They don't get Apple doesn't get credit for being inspiring. Here. Okay, they just so that was Paul's version of this. Which you couldn't believe or not. My version of this is that Apple, uh, John Gruber called it hubris when he was writing up this review. It's Uh, a good word for it. It's a a good word. That Apple got so far ahead of itself in believing that they could just change behavior. Yeah. That if Apple just deploys something, it comes true. Yeah. And that is is sometimes accurate. Mm -hmm. Apple takes away the floppy drive. There are no more floppy drives. Yeah. Great. They did it. They did it with the headphone jack, Eli. I hate you. <laughs> they did it. I disagree. <laughs> they changed behavior. No one's wandering the streets being like, "I wish I had a CD-ROM." Every day, I see someone be like, "I wish my phone had a headphone jack." But you can't deny that they've changed behavior. I dislike you. <laughs> do you think? Do you think part of Apple thought that you know our touchpads that are f- pretending to click nowadays? They don't even really click. They just pretend are so good. They're right about that, though. They are. So what if we're on the way to that future? What if that's the future for the, the keyboard and we should skate in that direction? Turns out that they are not right about Playing that. hockey. Right. <laughs> what is, how much Disney Plus have you been watching? All right. I, I think that's actually step two. I think step one was they, they fully believe that they can – they can drive this level of change, right? And, and they they have done it over and over again. I think the change they were actually after was the Mac is obsolete. And the iPad and the iPhone are the future. We're going to, like, push everybody towards it. And they took their eye off the ball of the Mac, which they've all but admitted. Yeah. Right? The old Mac Pro, like, obviously just, like, hit a wall. couldn't go any farther. Um, they they literally kept making the previous generation of the MacBook Air because they, they were, like, people keep buying them and we don't know why. Yeah. Like they're they're like, why wouldn't we take this money? But we don't know why you want this garbage computer that we insist on continuing to make with no retina display. So they took their eye off the ball of the Mac because they thought they were going to drive everybody to the iPad. That was like a, I would say a medium grade prediction. Maybe that's true. It definitely didn't happen as fast as they thought they could get it done. Yeah. Twenty five years from now, is that actually true? Like who knows? But like, lots of people are heading that direction. Okay. Then they were like, what if we make the computers so beautiful? that they are impossible to use. <laughs> our our new professional Mac is a is a cylinder. That's the way it's and it's hot. We love it. A good portion of this is the 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 blame Johnny Ive theory. 
Yeah. yeah. So, so wait, wait, that's layers. Oh, I'm just going yeah. through the the. I'm just going through the 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 bra, and then we can dive in on the layers. Okay. And then we want to make them thinner and smaller. So we're, mm. we've invented this new keyboard that's super tiny. We don't believe that ports are important. So here's here's some useless ports <laughs> that are like ten years ahead of the curve. And we hate Intel, so we're not even that we're not even going to update the chips inside on Intel's cadence. Every 15 years, we'll like throw you a bone of a new Intel chip. That's where they basically were with the oh. Mac. Also, we are in a weird beef with NVIDIA that nobody understands. Yeah. So we only use yeah, so, Radeon sometimes. So yeah. we use AMD chips. We don't want to put a touchscreen on it, but I don't know. Stephanie invented the touch bar. Let's throw her a bone. Like, I don't know how this thing exists. <laughs> I don't know why it's here. Eli has his first touch bar computer that he's actually using instead of just like glancing at, and he's very angry. <laughs> <laughs> it is so dumb. <laughs> All right. They're in a bad place. What drives the iPhone and iPad? Developers writing apps. What do developers want? An escape key. Can we change the behavior of every developer in the world by removing the escape? Like, that's the level of crazy. I heard Vim got a shout out. Vim got a shout out. Yes. I mean, they, they did the thing where they did like vignettes of like, how would you, you use all this power? Yeah. Because at this point, you can't just like show people a laptop, right? Like Apple's thing is always like, what can you do? What Grammy award winning song are you going to write today with your huge display? And it's like, yeah. none of them actually. I'm going to use GarageBand to just like make <laughs> clapping sounds. Like I don't, I don't need 500 tracks. Anyway, so they, sh they showed off a lot of like, here's what you do. Here's like... Uh, Xcode, here's simulate. Like they were like, it's a very powerful laptop. Yeah. So Vim got a shout out because they're like the escape key. Okay. Well, that ba I'm just saying that that level of belief that desktop computing was over, people were moving to the iPad, that they could drive design forward without worrying about the functionality of the tasks on the computer, just clearly bit them. The nuance here is there are some places where their desire to push design forward and push desktop computing in a different direction were rational and in an alternate universe would have actually paid off better. The alternate universe being, one, the, their keyboard was actually reliable. Uh, they, they wanted us to live in the Star Trek future where you're like moving your – and they're, you, know, you know, that's fast. That's what that keyboard is heading towards. And then the USB-C, you know how I feel about USB-C, don't you? Uh, it, like <laughs> so much potential, the right thing that just no one – like Apple said this is the right thing to do and everyone said, yeah, it sure does seem like the right thing to do and then nobody did it. Yeah. Um, and then a bunch of people did bad things and my Mac lit on fire at CES. Yes. So all these things have happened. Uh, but the dreams are made to be broken. <laughs> right. But <laughs> like there some of the decisions that you're like unhappy with, like I think specifically like the touch bar, like that is absolutely like you're just trying to change behavior for like just because you think you're cooler. Yeah. And the keyboard is maybe in that zone. But USB-C, it's like you're doing that, but also like there's like a good you you are in fact trying to do something that isn't just about like Apple is better or better at design. I I would say the exact opposite. I could I could see the good faith with the touch bar. Where it's like you know people in a few years were like, how did I ever live without all these convenient shortcuts on my touch bar? Like this will really improve people's lives. But the keyboard, it's like who thought that a keyboard with no tactile movement and keys that break was going to be an improvement for people's life. So let's start with the keyboard. The very first MacBook came out, the little tiny guy, uh, yep. had the butterfly keyboard. Yep. People love that computer, actually. One USB port. Yep. I miss and, that computer so much. And they much. were – I, I bought your old one. Yeah. If you'd like to visit it sometimes, <laughs> you can come over. Uh, uh, 
but they were very much like, this is our vision of the future. It's small, it's light, it's got a single USB port that can do everything. They named it MacBook. They are like, this is the MacBook. This is the thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's an iPad that folds over, right? Um, it could be people loved it. Then they tried to make their pro computers that computer. So you reuse the butterfly keyboard design. They went to the port design. And I think not a lot of people bought that little MacBook, right? It was a very targeted computer. So you don't have this like big data set. A lot of people bought 13-inch MacBooks, uh, MacBook Pros. A lot of people bought 15-inch MacBook mm-hmm. Pros. And these keyboards do not hold up. And Apple is constantly hiding behind the idea that like it's just a small percentage. Yeah. The majority of our customers love this keyboard. Yeah. I can't think of a single person. Well, no, I mean that now, right? It's become a it's become a thing that the keyboards are bad. But like even if you're just looking at yeah, the data. Do you know anybody with this laptop? Who doesn't have a problem with the keyboard? Uh, no. <laughs> like, I have a 13-inch MacBook Pro with this keyboard. It's actually an Apple review unit. Yeah. And it's broken. <laughs> yeah, my dad <laughs> owns one, and my friend owns one, and they're both broken on the keyboard. Like, who are these people who aren't having this problem? So Apple has this data that says lots and lots of people are fine. Some people actually love it. And a small percentage of people have broken keyboards or bad experiences. The problem is a small percentage of people at Apple's scale of everything is still millions of people. Yeah. Right? So they're always hiding behind this, like, statistical, like, game of minimizing an absolute large number inside of a relative small percentage. We need to finish your grand uh, arc of history. So you can actually talk about the laptop? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm – yeah, I'll get there. Okay. because I, I disagree with a lot of your history, but we need to finish it so you can have your narrative. Here's what I'm saying. First, then, there was Europe. Okay. Um, <laughs> first, first, the idea of the nation state was born yeah, in ancient exactly. Greece, and then it went away for a while. A bunch of nobles were mad at the king. And then during the Holy Roman Empire, a bunch of German lords. Yeah, we could do it. What I wanted to get to was they made all those decisions. They thought they could change stuff. Maybe on balance, they would have gotten there. People would have complained, and you would have had the usual narrative of what, what I get about the headphone jack, which is why are you whining about this thing? The ship has sailed. Just shut up, right? Like you're gonna, and I, I promise you, I'll whine forever. But I'm aware that the ship has long since sailed. The problem is the keyboard was faulty, and they they didn't admit it, and they didn't admit it. And then I really part of the what gets us to yesterday and them announcing the thing was they announced a new scissor switch keyboard in this thing, yep. and they said we've been listening to customers. We know not everybody loves it. What actually happened is that Casey Johnston at the outline, Casey used to work at Ars Technica. She's a great tech reporter. Now she's at Vice. But she wrote a piece of the outline that was like, this keyboard blows. And it it is specifically bad because a single grain of sand can destroy it. And she showed it and like she wrote several pieces about it. And then Joanna Stern at the Wall Street Journal wrote an incredible column where you could turn off the letters or make the letters repeat. And basically went through the same reporting process of like why it's broken and how it's bad. Yep. That set of reporting is... Paul, I think why everybody is like fearful of this keyboard, because it went from this sort of underreported annoyance about the thing to the conventional wisdom about the product. Yep. And then Apple had to launch a repair extension for the keyboard. The last time they launched products with the butterfly keyboard, they launched them with an existing repair program. Yep. They announced a redesigned version of the keyboard. They wouldn't say what had been redesigned. Yeah, they're like, there's new materials. What new materials? <laughs> Magic new materials. Like basically they, they got themselves to a point where they had made this big bet on this keyboard. It was faulty. They refused to admit it. They got caught and then they, they had to walk it back. Yeah. And I think that moment for them inside of everything else that's happening with the Mac. A redesigned Mac Pro that's actually like properly designed. An iMac Pro 4 Pros. Like 
They've uh, Mac Mini. That's actually great. Mm-hmm. I think Apple is like, oh shit, we have to make good computers. So th- that's my version. Yeah. If I didn't care about accuracy, the headline that I would write if I worked for I don't know another publication that doesn't care about accuracy, the headline that I would write uh, that would just get a kajillion clicks is uh, Johnny Ive's replacement is you. And, yeah. and that all of this was uh, Johnny Ive, he like checked out a co- few years ago, and then he finally left. And as he was checking out, a bunch of people were like, let's just make it a little thicker and see if he notices. <laughs> let's just let's just let's just fix the keyboard and see if he notices. Let's yeah. Let's just like read. Let's make a new Mac Pro that isn't a trash can and see if Johnny knows. You know, like it's not none of that is true or fair. No, but. There is a trend. Like they, they have done a bunch of stuff that we wanted. They made the the iPhone a little bit thicker, so it has better battery. They made this Mac a little bit thicker. They fixed the keyboard on this thing. They made the Mac Pro what the Mac Pro should have been. They, uh, you know, turned on the USB C port on the iPad Pro. Right? Yeah. They like made it work, like point for point the things that we've been asking for, customers, us, whoever. They just have started doing it, and it's like it's just been a trend for the past at least year or two that. Apple is like the thing that's like been annoying. Apple just like did the obvious thing that like they should have been doing in the first place. Okay, let's talk about the actual computer. It's great. I think Done. I'm still reviewing it. <laughs> uh, same price as last year. Twenty three ninety nine, twenty seven ninety nine. Ninth generation processor, and don't get mad that they're not tenth because you can't get tenth generation processors that you know U series forty five watt that can actually power this thing. One of the things that they just did, uh, they you know admitted not not admitting that they were wrong before, but they're admitting that they're wrong before is they uh, significantly changed the thermals so that it can run under load t- with 12 more watts of power than it, the previous generation could. So it's a little bit thicker. The fans push more air through. It's got a much bigger heat sink. And they also redesigned the logic board such that like all of the heat would be better dissipated and you know moved around inside. Um, and that was a big problem with the last generation. Like just the thing just could not dissipate heat fast enough. And so the processor would get thermally throttled. So that's great. The thing that they did here that uh, I, nobody was asking for, but it turns out is amazing. Is they made amazing speakers. Yeah, they're incredibly good. They're really good. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very picky about them, and I think they're. I mean, they're the best laptop speakers I've ever heard. They also have this thing where like it's a studio quality microphone, and like that, it's a very nice microphone. Mm-hmm. I just I don't think you should use it in your studio. No, it just it just seems like one of those things where if you're like a recording artist, you walk in the studio and someone's like singing this MacBook, you should leave that recording studio. Yeah. Because it, it's not going to work out for you. Um, so, is it, would you say that they've gotten rid of all of their compromises, most of their compromises, a small percentage of their compromises? The touch bar still there. They did add an escape key, though. They added a hardware escape uh, key. The camera is still bad. The camera is very bad. What are the real compromises of a Mac? Like, you're asking a question that has like a variety. Like, if the compromise before of the Mac was, I really like this operating system, so I, I will accept that the space bar may not work very well. <laughs> yeah. They have re- removed right. that compromise. Yeah. Um, if the compromise was, I really like this operating system, I'm going to, I'm forced to have this touch bar in my life and like use it to press escape. Okay. They've gotten rid yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, they have not. I mean, the bezel is a little bit smaller. Yeah. Are there Windows computers with smaller bezels? There mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. are. And they have touchscreens. Turns out, right. Um, so, like that is a compromise that they're just not going to give up on. They don't think these computers should have touchscreens. The line I put in my uh, hands-on is the lack of an SD card slot when there's this much space to work with is downright spiteful. Yeah, yeah. it's spiteful. It's just it does like come seem on, a little mean. Yeah, <laughs> um, they are very convinced that everyone loves their USB-C SD card readers. Yeah, that's just what they think. Mm-hmm. 
And they were like, and a lot of ca- new cameras have USB-C. And it's like, I don't want to. They don't, actually. And also, like, <laughs> I don't. Those computers shouldn't talk to each other. Just take the media right. out. I, I guess, like, so, like, in comparison to the MacBook Pro 15 that you could buy a week ago, this seems like, a you know, a lot of things have been fixed. But, like, the computer I've had my eye on uh, is, like, the, the ThinkPad uh extreme they, they have like yeah, the x1 yeah, yeah. extreme and then, then the p1 so this i mean that's a completely different computer no like, it's not it's a it's 15 inch it's thin and light it has some more ports but it's not dramatically thicker um and it's not i don't think it's even heavier as far as i know mm. and that much better price um and and i'm, I'm guessing i, I really want to see the head-to-heads but like you know it seems like these are the sort. Well, one ThinkPad keyboards are obviously, I, I would assume, still best in class. But also, these are laptops that are designed to perform at a high. I don't know. Like Apple's case design is cool, but I can't imagine it is optimal for thermals. I can understand that you can improve what you're doing with thermals within the constraints of their case design, but I can't imagine a, a, a case that was slightly thicker and with vents wouldn't be more efficient. Well, there are vents. There's vents on the back. There's vents on the, the left and the right. Yeah, there's, that there's in, input. And Johnny like, Ive left. He didn't it's like... It's metal, and so the metal dissipates heat as well. Like, I, I'm not saying this that there's not a more poss- potentially more thermally efficient design, but I don't I don't think that this is, like, fundamentally broken. And it was before, and they just, like, they fixed it. They, yeah. made, it, they, they made it thicker. I mean, they improved the fans. It's over and over again the story of this thing. I mean, like, Paul, it's great. To, it, we're, yeah, we're going to benchmark a lot of computers. We're going to, like, figure it out. But, like, if you want to run Mac OS, like, this is the well, thing sure. you should yeah. get, right? Like, sure. Well, no, uh, no, 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 no. It's not the thing you should get. It's the only thing you can get. <laughs> Fair. Well, you okay. can still buy it like a – So what's interesting – in the context of this whole lineup, yeah, is that there's this computer, yep, where they fixed all the problems, yep, made some improvements, cool speakers. Then there's uh, there are other laptops, yeah, which continue to have butterfly keyboards made of special materials that continue to have touch bars just flying at you. And th- th- this is not the best selling. No. It's one of the most popular. Yeah, but their best selling models are obviously the Air uh, and the 13 inch MacBook Pro. Yep, and the Air. I think it's just fine. Like, butterfly keyboard, haven't heard a lot about it. Keyboard extension, we'll see if they change it next yeah. year. The 13th MacBook Pro is in a real weird spot. So, they, you know, they gave this presentation to journalists and waves, and we were, we were in one of them. And they uh, they did, you know, a briefing, and they talked about all the stuff, and here's what it does, and pros, and blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, at the end of every sort of Apple keynote, they, like, show their lineup of products and they're like, here's our lineup of all of our pro products. And they like all the little products like came, you know, sliding in and, um, Mac pro slid in the pro display (laughs) slid in the iMac pro slid in the 15 inch Mac or 16 inch MacBook pro slid in. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. No, they just just, like the 13 inch MacBook pro is just not on their slide of pro products. I think the, that generation MacBook pros is going to get fully memory hold. Yeah. So they already they released the 15 inch old butterfly MacBook Pro in like May and mm-hmm. it's just gone. Mm-hmm. This thing just replaced it. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. the 13 inch will get revved soon and it'll be gone. Yep. And Apple will pretend that butterfly keyboards never happened. Yeah, they like, will listen to our customers. And it's like three years of you saying the keyboards didn't break. Well, the keyboards <sighs> broke. Yeah, I think they did as good of a job talking about the new keyboard. 
as could be done. As could be done. Without just like just flat out admitting they were wrong. Yeah. Like <laughs> unless they're gonna wait, like, unless what? they're gonna recall every single Mac on the on the planet. Like they did they did and, as good as they could. And so you guys have been typing on this new keyboard. It's great. You wanna you wanna hear it? Here we go. Yeah, let's let's load a little bit bit of ASMR. All right, here we go. Let's uh, let's listen to this keyboard. It's fine. I'm coming from an old 15-inch MacBook Pro 2015, which is right. honestly the, the computer that they want you to compare it to. Yep. And it's fine. I like that keyboard a lot. Maybe this keyboard is better than that keyboard. It's, it is. Yes, it is. It is. Uh, it's better. It's better. It's a little gushier. It's, yeah, but you, mm, it's, it's, it's less springy. It's more clunky, less springy. Yeah. That MacBook keyboard compared to this, like the, the backlight bleeds out the sides of the keys. The key, the, the metaphor I use is it's the, it's the balloon uh, arm waving guy at the car dealership. That's, they're like just like, bleh, they're just loose and springy. Bleh. <laughs> you know what? This you just know feels the much tighter exists? and nicer. Because it's effective. <laughs> <laughs> people love balloon guy. <laughs> when people see the balloon guy, they're like, I'm going to buy a car today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. It's a, I understand your metaphor, but balloon guy's beloved. Uh, so Neil, you're saying that this is not blowing you away compared to, or or even possibly an improvement compared to what the 2015. Yeah. I think if if they had sold me the same computer with this keyboard, I'd be like, oh, the keyboard's different, and it's fine. Yeah. The the things that are getting me are the touch bar is just ridiculous. It is a ridiculous like. Just think of the, the interaction modality of a keyboard is that you are pushing buttons, right? So often you can do nothing by just resting your hands in this in this zone. The touch bar is full of touch buttons. So if you if you are wrong by a millimeter, you have pressed the back button in your web browser by accident. And so like now I've installed POC, which is an app that, that I know Dieter has had that like hijacks the touch bar with other stuff. And I've just like have my Wi-Fi status where my finger goes because it's not a button. Why well, I don't need to know about my Wi-Fi status at that point in time. I'm not saying you're wrong, but there's the home row, right? Yeah. That's one place where people rest. But let's say you want to stretch out. There's a row above that. And then there's the numbers. So you're going full extension. Yeah. You have your hands flat on your laptop. You just, you just like rest I your hand really on the screen. Are you just like just like chilling, just resting your yeah, arm? Where do you where do you like <laughs> on the palm rest? On the home row. On the home row. No. There's little there's little braille not braille. I'm not like always in like a like a pounce position ready to type. <laughs> F and J. I'm like F scrolling around, I got my hand on the whatever. All I'm saying is it is ridiculous <laughs> to put a tap modality next to a button push modality, sure, which is sure. what the touch bar is. And I just don't I would have loved to save two hundred dollars and not have a touch bar mm. and not have a GPU mm. and like have this have this keyboard. And I don't think I will ever get that thing. I mean, buy a Surface Laptop 3. That's what you want. I want a Hackintosh. You want a Surface Laptop 3. 15-inch Surface Laptop 3. That's what you want. It is, it's got a re regular old keyboard. The touchpad isn't like giant like this one, but whatever. But uh, the, the GPU is underpowered. Battery lasts a long time. <laughs> doesn't have anything you don't want. That's what you want. Okay. I'll buy one of those soon. Okay. Anyway, Dieter's going to review the computer. I just think this moment where Apple is... Just doing obvious things is a very interesting moment in their history because they, what they are decidedly not doing is innovating a lot. Oh. Right? Like they're not pushing forward like the products. Well, they're just resetting the products to a place where like everyone's happy with them. Would you like to talk about the, um, the rumor uh, that they gave a presentation to a thousand employees and revealed their entire AR plan for the next three years? 
Yeah, it's to their thousand employees out there. It's wild. Yeah, I was just gonna say, like, if they come out with wild AR stuff in a couple of years, we'll be like, yeah, I guess that makes sense, you know? Right? Yeah, if it's good, if they did, a, if they do a good job and they change the whole world with AR, then like it makes sense to just sit around and tweak their their phones and computers, right? Yeah, I mean, I I am very concerned about the idea that. Apple thinks that AR glasses will replace the iPhone in 10 years, which is one of the rumors that came out of that meeting. Like, I would say as a society, we have not dealt well with pervasive cameras everywhere, right? Just a lot of, lot of problems with everybody having a camera or five all the time. Like, just a lot. Like, it, 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 and a lot of good things, sure. Like, I love cameras. We review the hell out of cameras when the phones come out. Great. But, like, there are surveillance issues. There are just creepy people issues. There are revenge porn. Like, it's just there. There's a lot of stuff that comes with that level of camera technology. Now we're going to put them on everybody's faces? Like, that, it seems like we ought to think that one through a little bit before Apple just gets to race out and, like, make a product of that scale. And then on top, and all, like, what is AR? It's a layer of information over the world. I would say as a society, we have not done a great job of agreeing on information at this point in time, like what is true and what is not. So like now you might have people like literally living in different perceived realities. Like that is already true because of phones. People live in different perceived realities. But it would be really cool. It would be awesome. I'm just saying I don't want to see face camera filter bubble. Like (laughs) can you imagine how many like issues the interface Casey will have to write every day Mm -hmm. when there are face camera filter bubbles? (laughs) 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 Can't wait. It's just that's where my head's at with that stuff. I think it's really cool. I just think deploying it at Apple scale, I hope they're thoughtful about it. All right, let's take a break. We got to talk about folding phones. Mm. We didn't talk about the Mac Pro at all. Should we talk about it for two seconds? The Mac Pro is coming in December. We that that, that That's what we know. Right. It, you can get an 8 terabyte SSD uh, set up on it if you want. It does not fold in half. It does not fold. Yeah, it's got, though. You can rack mount it, though. It's got USB-A ports. It's got one on the inside for your, your copyright dongle needs. Yeah. It's perfect. All right, we'll be right back. Support for the VergeCast comes from Shopify. Whether you're a huge company or a small crafter trying to make a buck off your hobby, selling online is one of the best ways to grow. Shopify is one of the top e-commerce platforms that you can use to get started. But it's not just online. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And you can sell wherever, online or with their in-person point of sale system. You can also sell more with less effort with their AI-powered tool, Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. You might recognize more brands who already use Shopify, like Rothy's, Brooklinen, Allbirds, and more. Millions of entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries rely on Shopify for their e-commerce needs. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash vergecast. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash vergecast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash vergecast. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. 
Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. All right, Dieter, do you want to talk about the razor right away? Or do you want me to get you all riled up about RCS first? Oh, my God. We don't have time to talk about RCS. <laughs> okay, look. The Verge cast. Uh, Google is flipping the switch so that all Android users in the U.S. who use Android messages, which is um, not most of them because most people have Samsung phones, but you can go download it. If you use Android messages, you will get RCS chat. Google will provide it to you by the end of the year. <laughs> They're rolling it out slowly. You yeah. Yeah. They're just doing the thing. This is, I feel like there's a game of like cat and mouse between the carriers and Google over RCS at this point. Like Google's like, we're going to launch in the UK and France and we're just going to like, we're going to take over and not wait for carriers. And then the carriers like, interesting, we're going to launch a joint venture where we're going to create our own app to handle RCS. And Google's like, huh, we're just going to provide it, provide it right now because we can, because you're going to take another year to get your shit done. The carriers are like, I see what you've done there, Google. And I don't know what their next move is, but they're good. There's going to be another turn here. Um, Wait, presumably, so, like Google's provide Google provided RCS will switch over to carrier provided RCS seamlessly and without a problem once carrier provided RCS becomes available. But what we don't know yet is whether or not you'll get to continue to use the Android Messages app, or if you got to use the carrier provided app when they want to provide RCS to you. I use Signal, which can handle my SMS and also Signal messages. So what'll happen there is you'll you'll continue to. Just, use SMS because Signal cannot, the RCS has to be like from an authenticated app and Signal can't authenticate to an RCS server. And that's forever going to be like that? Well, I mean, we'll see. Maybe someday Signal will like be be blessed up to like become an RCS provider if it wants to, because it is a federated Mm -hmm. model. Uh, But I, I, that's, that's like a five-year project. Because I just pulled up the messages app and it says you can't, messages can only send and receive messages if it's your default. That's correct. Yep. So nobody's getting RCS. (laughs) Well, uh, no, most people use the default. And the default is Android messages on like a whole, but like two years ago, LG and HTC and a bunch of other Android makers are like, yep, we're just using Android messages now. And the only one that wasn't was Samsung. Um, if you have a Samsung phone, you need to go download Android messages and not use Samsung's client. I could go on. We shouldn't I have feelings. I know you do. So yeah. let me ask you about that. Oh, God. <laughs> this is a war. This is a tiny little cold war the for t- messaging, yeah. to control messaging. Mm-hmm. What are the chances that the carrier, the CCMI, yeah. cross-carrier messaging initiative, yeah. great name. Uh-huh. When I think about consumer marketing, I think about the words cross-carrier messaging initiative. What are the chances that the CCMI roll like fragments RCS? Hopefully small. Everyone is saying the right words about interoperability and interconnect. Interconnect is a thing that it still exists with RCS. It's just a little bit simpler than it was with SMS. So you shouldn't need um, you know thir- weird third parties like Cineverse to like translate God your messages Cineverse. and then hold your Valentine's Day messages because yeah. the the servers do talk to each other pretty directly right now, um, like email or whatever. Um, but the the those interconnects uh, involve contracts, and that if anytime there's a contract, it's a point of leverage, and so they could choose to like break it. Um, the reason RCS didn't take off is the carriers didn't want to like take the time to put in the effort to like 
make the contracts and all work together. There's yeah. too much work. Um, they feel like they have to now. Uh, I think Google's putting a lot of pressure on everybody. Um, but, you know, it could all go wrong. Uh, there, there's no guarantee that it will go right. And it, is that here or is it just because iMessage exists? Great. Those people are not accessible. Even if they build RCS, there's mm-hmm. no guarantee Apple's going to use it. Although Apple's made some noises in the past, right? No. Apple has said zero things about RCS. I think Google has made some noises about Apple. Google has said that they would love it if Apple participated. They're, they're, they, they'll accept everybody into their happy RCS family. And then silence emanated from Apple's circular headquarters. Yeah, I, I would call it gleeful silence. <laughs> yeah. But once upon a time, carriers used to make a lot of money in SMS. Yep. All that traffic moved to iMessage and WhatsApp in line and WeChat. Yep, because they, they, they got... Because they hubris, done. they just they 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 charge too much rent. The you know they're for yeah. SMS anyway. The only reason they're building now is because they think they're making that money again. But they think they're going to make their money on the back end because the thing that they want to make money on is charging Virgin Airlines and Walgreens and you know your hotel and your bank to chat with you over RCS. Yeah. Instead of charging you for the RCS messages, that's the that's the plan. That sounds like a a. A, a idea that would have worked five years ago and is not going to work this time. Uh, maybe the 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 thing that RCS has going for it is it is tied to your phone number and it is once everyone does it a universal fallback. Everyone will have RCS except for iPhone users, uh, so they know that they can always get like. You don't have to find out. If I want to talk to you, I don't have to ask you what chat app you use. I can just use RCS. Yeah, the problem. But to Paul's point, like. Apple already offers iMessage business chat. Yep. Facebook is combining all of its chat services. Yep. It, it and the a, phone number is the thing that we need to kill. Yeah. Well, yeah, but guess who doesn't want it killed? The people that control whether or not you can like get data on your phone. Well, sure. That's what I'm saying. I, I feel like they are. The, the, this is a legacy uh, offering. Yes. Yeah. Well, the, the only way to stop it, Paul, is to, like launch a, a pirate mesh network across the entire planet where we control the the data. Well, if the FCC would just let me <laughs> free the airwaves. I don't. Here's Stop what, granting monopolies. <laughs> we need competition. Like, it was literally about to, <laughs> about to explode. explode. <laughs> there, yeah. That'd be, like, one thing you could do is like you could maybe block T-Mobile and Sprint from merging and then make Sprint. Yep. Okay. Yep. Give the spectrum back to the people. Thank you. The spectrum. Paul Miller for the president. The spectrum already belongs to the people. It's doled out by the people's government. <laughs> anyway, uh, the end. The end. The people's government. That's where I'm at right now. First, there was Europe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear sweet democracy. <laughs> Let's just put our face computers on. <laughs> Relax. <laughs> All right. Speaking of carriers and throwbacks. Oh, God. The Razor's here. The Razor's here, locked to Verizon using an eSIM. <laughs> So you can't just unlock it and throw it on whatever carrier you want. A carrier exclusive razor is a truly, like truly, a it's throwback. like a proper throwback. All right, let's not talk about eSIMs and and carrier lockdowns. Yeah. Let's talk about how cool this screen is. It seems great. There does not appear to be a crease that you can feel or see. Uh, Motorola is uh, very confident that you don't need to baby this thing. You know, it's not IP sixty eight or whatever, but like they're they're like we're not doing like a big scary you know set of warnings use it like a phone it'll last a couple of years for sure because that's how long phone, phones usually last yeah. and um yeah they're, they're like we we we've made these screens before we're fine go ahead and use it also it costs 1500 bucks so that'll limit the number of people who yeah buy it. <laughs> and those people are like like i broke my razor 
by driving it over with my Mercedes. Like, yeah. They'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, we, we had Panos Pene on the Vergecast a while ago. He was talking about Microsoft's dual screen devices. Mm-hmm. And I asked him very directly, like, this seems like a moment where there's a form factor change, which is usually sort of historically when incumbents fail. Right. Right. Like new entrants can come in because there's a form factor change and you get there first. So obviously the, the form factor change to mobile provided a huge opportunity for Apple. Right. Um, do you think? And he was like, no, nah, I don't think about it that way. But I'm looking at dual screen devices for Microsoft. I'm looking at the Galaxy Fold. I'm looking at this Razer and I'm like, the thing people really want is something that looks different. Like mm-hmm. ultimately that provides a new kind of functionality. And I see the Razer. I'm like, everybody is interested in it. Yeah. It's the first time you see a non-Apple or Samsung phone just, like, hit the mainstream. Yeah. It was on the front page of, like, CNN today. Yeah. But, like, Motorola has been making nothing burger mid-range Android phones for four years now. Yeah. And and they've just been, like, holding this one. Just, like, we're just going to keep making, you know, G-whatevers. And they'll just go out there. It'll be fine. But really what we're working on is this thing. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if they nailed it. There's a bunch of potential problems with it. But it seems like they – the thing that I wrote is they chose an easier problem to solve than Samsung did. Samsung tried to go all the way to like unfolding tablet and they just had a huge crease that they had to deal with and they just they, – they got over their skis. Motorola just like nailed a slightly easier problem, I hope. Yeah. Well, I mean Samsung had made a Galaxy S10 that just folded in half. Yeah. Yep. You, think, you think they would have been easier than the Galaxy Fold? I do. I think so. Why is that? Uh, other than uh, obviously, Motorola has a different hinge design, which yep. is going to be hard to talk about on audio. Uh, but you should definitely watch Heim's video um, and read the article, yeah. and you can see the patent and everything of how M- Motorola is folding the screen without really creasing. It's like it, it forms a teardrop inside the hinge so that it can fold yeah. completely flat. Yeah. Like if you imagine folding a piece of paper without creasing it, just it put two ends of a piece of paper together. Yeah. And now you have, so that's awesome. So is that what you mean by the easier problem? No, I mean that the, 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 the length of screen that they have to fold in half is like an inch and a half instead of five mm. inches or four inches or however tall the galaxy, uh, fold screen is like, yeah. there's just less like stuff that they have to worry about. They can just, they could just fold it that way. It goes inside the, the phone and they can, they can worry a little bit less about like all the shifting and weirdness that happens with like the larger screen. And they have a uh, much smaller number of software problems to solve. Yes. Because all it is is an Android phone, mm-hmm. right? Instead of an Android phone that, that, that unfolds into a tablet. So like the Galaxy Fold is like a tiny front facing Android phone and then like a tablet mm-hmm. and then, <laughs> then it's an Android tablet. Although Motorola is doing some kind of nice stuff, it looks like. I mean, I haven't used it, but the the little external screen. Yeah. You, know, yeah. you can repl- quick reply to messages, dismiss notifications and stuff like that. It's just, it's it's not just, it, it does absolutely look cool. And I think that's a really great reason to be interested in it. But it also it seems, it just, it kind of makes a little more sense as a phone because it has like a check the notifications mode. It's less tall in your pocket, which is one of the big problems I have with with phones being so big is I just don't like, they're just uncomfortable in my pocket. Yeah. Um, it's, it is a little ridiculously tall when it's open, so it might be weird to use, um, but I don't know. It's cool. I think people are going to be hype over this thing. I, th- I think people are like, yeah. This is going to prove out the use case for folding phones so much more than the Galaxy Fold. Yep. Right? Like, make the make the thing that everyone's – like, there are two things. Everyone thinks the phones are too big. 
but then everybody wants a big phone. Right. And like we are told over and over again there's not a market for a small phone. Yeah. Okay, well here's a small phone that turns into a big phone. Like, hmm. Yeah. Like I think people like, like this however fit, many of this, this they this make will it fit in a know. pocket. And the it's it's a little bit thicker probably. Uh the and the possible problem is they made it really thin, which means it has a very small battery and a pretty slow processor. And the, that combination of things could mean that the battery life isn't great or that it feels slow. Um, I'm not super worried about it feeling slow. I am worried about battery life, and I'm definitely worried about the camera being womp womp. Yeah, the camera will be bad. Yeah. But this is great. It's a throwback. This is <laughs> You can do digital well-being in software, or you can just buy a phone with a shitbox camera and yeah. a slow processor. Yeah, And there then you carry around your RX100, and now you've got like $4,000 of gadgets yeah. in your pocket. And because it's great. a Verizon special, you have to use Verizon Messages Plus, which means you don't want to text anybody anyway. <laughs> this is horrible. Do you want to talk about the eSIM thing for two seconds? I, I mean, eSIM was designed to uh, force carriers to allow people to switch phones more easily because they could just, like, do it in software instead of having to go buy a little card, right, a uh, little plastic thing. But instead what appears to be happening is if there's no place at all to put that little card, then it's completely up to the carrier or the manufacturer of whether or not they'll let you do that software. The software piece isn't there yet. We haven't regulated it into existence. And so I don't know if this is going to be unlocked. They don't want to talk about it. Um, but it is completely possible that if they don't have to release this thing unlocked, they just won't do the work of making the software to let you use it on another carrier. Yeah. That sounds horrible. Yeah. I mean, I will say that part of the Sprint T-Mobile merger condition is that like T-Mobile has to like provision eSIM things so anybody can jump on their network and like jump off their network. Yeah. But at the same time, like Verizon's like, what if we use this to put you in jail? That is also a great um, throwback because wasn't the original Razor – Verizon exclusive for, for like a while. Yeah. Yeah. The original Razor was super expensive. It was a Verizon exclusive. It was a status symbol. And then it commoditized inside of like two years being like the phone that like Bell South would throw at you for free if you just drove past one of their stores. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like random you Bell South like dudes outside. for free. <laughs> All right. Let's take a break. We'll come back. Julia Alexander is going to join us and talk about Disney Plus. The streaming wars have been joined. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's 
S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Paul Miller. Uh-huh. Every week you hold this nation together. That's right. With a pure consistency of a segment called... I'm taking my talents to artificial general intelligence. Wow. That's yeah. like two different references all in one. This this is a sports reference for uh, to the time LeBron James uh, changed basketball teams. Um, but this is John Carmack, who is my favorite programmer, uh, is um, basically quitting Oculus. He's he's going to be an, an advisor. But, you know, the, the, the famed creator of Doom and Quake and just very, very good programmer, very smart person. <laughs> I just love the LeBron thing was the thing that came to mind. And there's a really great discussion on um, Hacker News about this. But, you know, this idea that he, John Carmack says he's going while he's not too old, he wants to try artificial general intelligence. He wants to give it a shot. And so he and his son are going to hang out at their house and work on this problem. And it's just like, if any, I can't think of, there's probably maybe five programmers in the world who could say that and anybody would care. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But he is one of the five and so it's, I care. And it's really exciting. And and it's fun, you know, and it's a a great debate because like, what what does that even mean? Is this a problem that has lacked people like John Carmack or does it have too much hype? You know, there's so much, you know, like is, is the stuff Google's doing with DeepMind along those lines or is it is it totally different from what real AGI would be it's so much fun to think about and just theorize about John Carmack and his son hanging <laughs> out solving the hardest problem on the planet wait can i ask okay so first of all it's, it seems like oculus hit a big inflection point right they completed phase 1 the quest mm-hmm. is out and they they also killed the thing that John Carmack spent the most of his time on which was gear vr Okay, so but a, a big inflection point. Like, yeah, yes. they went from Palmer Lucky in our CES trailer with like basically a cardboard box with a phone in it. That, well, it was like the first thing to Carmack was like, I'll help you. Sold to Facebook, they refined, iterated the product. Now all the OGs are gone. Facebook is like big company on a, on its cycle, right? The, and probably, and, and I believe steering Oculus towards AR. Uh, that's the impression I've gotten for the past couple years. Okay, but like, so he's out there, and then he's. He's going to do AGI. So here's some dumb questions about AGI that I'm just going to ask you. If he invented a computer that was as smart as a gerbil, would he have been successful? I just I just picked an animal. <laughs> That's one of the great things about this Hacker News discussion. One of the first problems of AGI is defining intelligence. Okay, so we can stop there. First, there was Europe. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, like, so that, but that's like the scope of the problem. Is like It doesn't even have a defined problem set or a defined like solution space. And that's something people are talking a lot about. Like when when John Carmack was working on 3D rendering stuff, we have a pretty good description of the physics of light. And when you're making a 3D renderer, you are trying to make something that looks like that without, you know, actually simulating trillions of trillions and trillions to the power of trillions of interactions of particles all the time. You know, you're, you're creating a loose approximation of a thing that we understand the physics of. We don't understand brains. We don't understand intelligence. Um, we do know a lot of about them. And so the hope is to use the things that we know about and the things that we do know about computers 
and try to marry those into intelligence. And and I think probably the foremost example lately is the stuff DeepMind's done with AlphaGo, and they just did our Alpha StarCraft. Like the you know they're using neural network stuff and deep learning to solve to play games right now. I think that's the closest I think that anybody has public um, research wise, but. It's a very broad problem. It's just like one out of 10. How likely is it that John Carmack and his son actually make a Terminator? You don't want to really get into this with me because I really don't even think AGI is possible. I'm I'm a naysayer in that sense. But if it is possible with our, our given technology or just like some more leaps, I would say John Carmack and his son have one of the better shots because uh-huh. I think he's a really smart person. I feel like we should check on him and his son in that house. <laughs> All right. Speaking of Death Stars. <laughs> wow. <laughs> did it. Julia, welcome. Oh, my gosh. It's here. It's happened. <laughs> Disney Plus. Yeah. It launched. Yes. Very well for them. They hit 10 million subscribers first yeah. day. Well, well it, went, it, launched, it launched very well eventually. Right? Yeah, so they made they they had a lot of people sign up. Whether or not those people could watch anything <laughs> is is, uh-huh. is the question. But they signed up for it. They signed up for it. Obviously, there's a huge marketing push. I, I my favorite moment of this, like they are they are a huge company, massive. Like they're they are the Death Star, and they keep buying a lot of other big companies. And they can't stop themselves. They don't know what else to do with all their money. <laughs> they're like, ah, uh, crap! <laughs> Five million more people watch Endgame today. Like, what do we do with this? But like, ESPN anchors or like Disney Plus will change your life, right? Like that is corporate synergy. I don't like, like at a level that is just it's a disturbing new. level. Yeah, but like you know, but also understandable from like a business perspective. Like I, I get it. Yeah, it's just but so they they did a lot of hype, a huge corporate synergy launch moment. I don't know if that 10 million number actually means they have 10 million subscribers, right? They gave they gave it away for free to Verizon customers. Yeah. It's in bundles. It is ridiculously easy to push one button and subscribe for a minute right. on like an Apple TV. Right. I mean, the big question is whether or not those 10 million subscribers will stay around after the seven-day free trial, after they finish watching Mandalorian, after they finish watching Iron Man 2, yeah. which I plug every time <laughs> on this podcast. Come on. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, whether or not those people actually stay around is the question. But, I mean, analysts were expecting Disney Plus to hit between 10 and 18 million by end of year one. So they hit it by end of day one. Yeah. Which is a nice little moment for them. Like, they get to pat themselves on the back and be like, see, we knew what we were doing. Whether or not that's true will take a few months. Do you know, do you know how, how, they, how they tell how many subscribers they have? Mm. They have a uh, Bob Iger counter. Dieter, it's been a good run for you. But I think you are the first casualty. <laughs> uh, I'm so sorry to everyone. Uh, this is a family show. I'm not sure how that got through. Do you have that queued up? No, it just came to me. Can I get a real quick question answer? Speaking of, of, of Verizon wondering if it's in the war, I um, I didn't even know, but I just like read in theverge.com. It's like Verizon customers get Disney Plus for free. And I was definitely not planning on giving Disney any of my money to watch old movies that I've seen before. <laughs> but I, if I get it for free, I get it for free. And so I signed up and then I watched Miracle last night. Yeah. It was great about hockey because I love the, the second sport of hockey. time you've mentioned that you watched <laughs> it's Miracle. It's a great movie. What does Verizon get out of that? So Verizon's like out of the zone, right? Like they don't have a big content play of their own. They're obviously just going to bundle everybody else's. Yeah. Because right? they, they tried. They 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 went 90. <laughs> the hole and how. But like if so if you're AT&T, just like they're the, they're the two big carriers, right? 
AT&T is going to do HBO Max or yeah. something. They're going to let you stream CNN for free. Like, if you're an AT&T customer, you will get as much 480p video from their services as you can <laughs> drink. Like, all day long, 480p video just doesn't hit your data cap. You can have it. Verizon doesn't have that to offer anybody, so they got a partner. And Disney doesn't have a wireless carrier, so they have to partner. Yeah. Buckle up, because what's merging next? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, anyway, so they launched the thing. Disney, and you talked about this last time. Disney famously had bought BamTech, which was like the best streaming provider. Yeah. Maybe maybe wasn't because of what happened yesterday. I'm So there's two things, right? A lot of people signing up at once, launch day issues. I mean, the issue that Disney Plus saw is the same issue that every single game company sees when they launch a big game. And then they're like, our servers are down. And everyone gets mad. And it's like, we've been doing this for two years, I feel like. Yeah. Every time anything launches, like World of Warcraft Classic launch, and people yeah. are like, I can't get in. And I was like, I feel like this is <laughs> the same Polygon story every month. Story. It's like, they can't get into their thing. Um, and this happened Disney Plus. They There was override. We asked uh, Michael Paul, who's the head of Disney Streaming Services, uh, if he was worried about day one. He said, we're prepared in August. And they were not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, but it wasn't surprising to me. It seems like things are mostly better now. Like day two, people are getting in. I think there's also less people trying to access yeah. the streaming service. They've watched The Mandalorian. Um, so there, there's that happening too. But, I mean, it wasn't super surprising. And BamTech, for me, I was like also convinced that it wasn't going to hold up because I look at ESPN Plus stuff. And ESPN Plus stuff always has issues. Yeah. And I was like, this is the same. Didn't BamTech also run HBO Now for a minute? Yeah, and then Disney bought it and they were like, ha <laughs> Move. Yeah. But, but HBO now, like very famously, every time Game of Thrones came out, like had a problem. I had to watch it. No, on- but so HBO Go was, was hot garbage. And then HBO Now launched on BAM Tech. It's, it's a different technology. And then HBO Now was the good one and Go was the bad one. So if you had HBO on cable, you had the crappy streaming service. And if you didn't, you had the good one. Now was also, though, not super great. I had to watch Game of Thrones on like Twitch a lot of time. I don't know if I can say that. I, but I had to watch it on like Twitch because it was just like, that's, it's running better here than it is on HBO now. So I mean this is like another question. Yeah. Right? We are now at the point where you could be paying $4.99 a month for Apple, you could be paying whatever price for it's in so many bundles it's like hard to know how much yeah, people are going to $6.99 standalone for standalone $6.99 for Disney Plus. Like are we like the the question marks about everything you have to buy everything or like right. recreate the cable bundle. Are you seeing any ways that, or is, is Disney and Netflix, it's like Disney Plus and Netflix are the ones everyone's going to have. So there's an interesting conversation that came up yesterday because the number one trending thing on Disney Plus last night was The Simpsons. And people were like, why is The Simpsons the number one trending thing? And then it was oh. like, wanna, and I was like, well, because Disney needed an office and its office that it owns because they don't want to have any licensed content. So its office is The Simpsons. It They brought that in. They were like, what are people going to fall asleep to? What are people just going to put on when they're done watching Miracle? Uh, it's going to be it's going it's to be The Simpsons. And so people like that. And so we saw that happen. Like there was the number one trending thing. People were confused about it. They were like, why is this on Hulu? So the question is like whether everyone's going to have to have a service that they're going to buy all of this for. I don't think that's true. I think Netflix will be that for a lot of people still. I think Netflix has the most at this point that I mean, genuinely has the most. They announce a new thing every single day uh, and they have more content coming in and you can just put something on. Like I should be watching more Disney Plus than I am, but I can't stop watching Criminal Minds, which is a bad show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But here I am <laughs> like every well, night. So this is like a, a big question for, for Netflix. Right. Like many of their originals are of like B minus quality. Yeah. They're not great. Right. And like everyone kind of knows it. Everyone's kind of saying it. Yeah. 
Hyperdrive is A+. Plus. I just want to put that out there. It you talk about show. Iron Man 2 every time Hyperdrive. <laughs> yeah. The shoot at the Kodak factory upstate. Is that going to put pressure on Netflix in this? Or is it the library in the content, next the few license years. content? I mean, the next year. So the licensing stuff. It's funny. If you go on Disney Plus today, you can click on a title and it's like, oh, this is coming in October 2021. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, oh, I guess I'll stick around and just, <laughs> <laughs> and just wait. But the reason for that is because even though like Disney owns a lot of their owns, they own all this stuff, they actually licensed out all their IP. Um, and so they're trying to slowly get it back. Netflix has a few years before they have to really start worrying about losing everything. Like, they're losing some things, but, like, the CW deal for them is still, like, that's why you can watch uh, Zombie, um, Riverdale for them, um, but that's going to start changing soon. So Netflix has to start finding its big franchises. This is what Ted Sarandos, who's their head of content, said in a recent earnings call. He was like, we know we need franchises. We know they're important. Right now we're playing, we're we're trying to do an original movie play, which, like, sure, that's what people are coming to Netflix for. I, like it's it's I don't understand what they're doing, but they're figuring it out. And I think they're spending more. They are spending more money than anyone else on content every year. They're trying to figure it out. Um, that question comes into play in like 2021, 2022. How long? I don't know if we can answer this, but like they're spending more money. But it's not like they're like they 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 have infinite money. No. Yeah, and they they're like super not. Uh, they're not exactly profitable. Yeah. Really, they have a lot of debt. But I mean. The thing that goes around a lot with Reed Hastings is like, don't worry, Reed Hastings is going to figure this out. He's the guy in the room. Kind of what they say about Jeffrey Katzenberg, who's watching Quibi. They're like, he, he'll he figure it yeah. out. <laughs> if anybody can do it, don't bet against Jeff. Like, yeah. hear it all the time. Exactly. Um, and I feel like Reed, they've seen it coming. They know this is coming. What's harder, I think, for a lot of like coming at streaming from a tech angle versus an entertainment angle is like the tech angle is like, let's scale as fast as we can. Right. Apple's doing it. Like, let's launch a bunch of stuff scale and we'll take it from there and content that's just how entertainment works it's like you will what's good yeah and like what can i stick around for which is what disney's kind of doing disney's like we're going to play our franchise up really high so every few months there's going to be either a new marvel movie or a new marvel show on the streaming service there's going to be a new avatar movie or new avatar show apparently on the service there's going to be and so they've figured it out really well they they know to keep people around and then they have like the simpsons which will keep people at night um Hulu to the same extent. That's why FX Hulu uh, FX is going to Hulu now. It's like that's just a smart play. That's a smart like, oh, well, now there's something you can only get here and people are going to want. Um, so Disney's coming in from an entertainment perspective and going up against a bunch of tech companies, arguably. And that's where they're winning versus Apple is like launched a bunch of shows. None of them are great. Well, Dickinson is great. And then the other ones are terrible. Um, See, is one of the worst things ever committed to television. It, it's Terrible, but they're like, uh, we're getting subscribers, and then at the end of the day, they want to like be in the you know Disney HBO like field, but they want subscribers. They want to keep people in their services. They want to keep people in their ecosystem. So it's it's a different strat play. In five years, I think the biggest thing we see is people just knowing when to cancel and when not to cancel. So yeah. It's like I don't need HBO right now. I'm done with it. I'm just gonna go to Disney for a minute. Yeah. That it's just easier. I would pay four ninety nine a month for a live stream of Tim Cook watching Sea for the first time. <laughs> like, I could just have access to that whenever I wanted forever. I'd, like for the rest of my life, I'd pay four ninety nine a month. <laughs> like I just need to. Can I? Like I'm in a bad mood. I just want to be. I just want to watch Tim Cook reacting to Sea. I want Sea with closed captions, but by Johnny Ive. Like Johnny Ive reading certain things. Yeah. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, but but Apple doesn't have a Simpsons, right? They, yeah, and no. they they don't they aren't making a licensed content play, which is what Netflix did. Like, but so these business models are like there. There's an element to the business models that makes me scared for Netflix. Like Apple makes monopoly profits on the iPhone, yeah. 
right? They make monopoly profits on the Mac. Like we just had a whole conversation about like, well, if you want to use Mac OS, like you don't get a space bar for a while. Like they have these zones where they're just going to extract the profits, save more money than anybody. There's no way that the morning show is like one of the most expensive shows like ever yeah. in television. There's no way that four ninety nine a month is paying for the morning show. Like they're just losing money. Yeah, they've signed all the shows to a second season, if not more. Yeah, um, and it's just there. They're just subsidizing this content so that you will use their TV app, and then inside of the TV app, you might buy HBO and HBO will pay Apple a cut. Right. I mean, so the big thing that Apple's doing, which like we confirm the details of, is uh, they're in final final negotiations to sign Richard Plepler, which is like the greatest kind of <laughs> few to AT and T. It's kind of like could, you guys. People might not know. Can oh you? yeah, sorry, sorry. Um, <laughs> Richard Plepler is like the visionary uh, at HBO. He was the visionary at HBO. He's the one who really championed Game of Thrones when no one believed in it. And he's like, I think there's something here. Turns out. <laughs> he was right. He did a lot of shows before that. He's really responsible for it. And when AT&T came in and basically said, we are going to, we need you to increase your output by 50%. We're launching HBO Max. We need to have all this content. He was like, I don't think that's how you do TV. It's not how we've done it. So he left. And then everyone else left too. And then everyone else left. And now he's in final talks with Apple for an exclusive production output deal. So exclusive makes it very big. Like it's a that's a huge deal. And that would be Apple being like, we want someone who knows how to do good TV. We'll give you the money you need. We'll yeah. just give you money. And then we we want to have Emmys. We want to bring people in. Like yeah. that feels like the prestige play to me. Where's Amazon but, gone in all this? Oh, they're but, they're in a very good position. Yeah, and, yeah. They've they've. They're ordering shows. Well, actually, they just made a recent announcement where they're not giving out numbers anymore. So whether how their movies are doing, we don't know. Yeah. But their shows are like they 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 did, like did a bunch of good stuff at the Emmys this year. My mom finally signed up for Amazon because of the Emmys. So like they're doing well. Yeah. Um, but they also have like some of the best licensing deals. Like all the all the networks want to be on Amazon channels. Like they want to be in it because yeah. they get subscribers through it. So Amazon's like happy being like. We'll be the home to SpongeBob SquarePants seasons, and then also you can watch Marvelous Miss Maisel. So I think the reason that the, all the networks want to be there and that the channel deals is because the Fire TV is organized around making you buy that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So like yeah. you buy this like cheap stick yeah. from Amazon. Yeah. People actually really like Fire TVs, yeah. and then the whole interface is like, do you want to buy some new stuff? And I don't think we ever talk about that as being the actual innovation that it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, for so long, the dream was, like, an a la carte cable bundle. And the Fire TV effectively delivers that to you. Yeah. Right. Right. You plug it in. There's a bunch. Of, if you're a Prime member, there's a bunch of free stuff. Cool. You're like, I'd like to get HBO. And, you know, I push the button and go. That's what Apple wants to do with the TV yeah. app. Mm -hmm. It's just horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the TV app is, like, embarrassingly bad. Yep. Um, the only thing good about the TV app is it is the best looking app that has ever been shipped on the Roku. Like, we had the CEO of Roku on the show, and I was like, why is your interface so bad? He's like, you know, whatever. People don't give a shit. And then Apple ships this app, and it's like, you, they lied. They lied to me. <laughs> like, there's no limitation to this operating system at all. They just don't care, and, like, all these apps are bad. Speaking of apps, Vizio didn't make a Disney Plus app. Plus, their Chromecast version is, like, one point release too old to work with Disney Plus. Wow. So Vizio officially recommends AirPlaying. Uh, yeah, it makes, but that only works on new Vizio TVs. So this is like yeah. another problem that I think the Disney Plus launch in particular and to a smaller extent the Apple launch really highlighted, which is Netflix is very good at making apps that yeah. work very well on every platform they're on. Yeah. And they have a huge lead in just like consumer experience. Disney launches The Simpsons is in the wrong aspect ratio. And it's like... <laughs> 
they yeah. should have known. They should that 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 train was just coming for it. It's him. been a conversation for years. Right. I feel like yeah. Um, Disney, the app on like LG TVs, doesn't support surround sound. Like it just doesn't do it. It's ridiculous. The Apple app supports Dolby Vision and Atmos on the Apple TV box, and like n- everywhere else, it's like SD quality. <laughs> There, like, there's an element to this where they want to go wide, they want to be horizontal, they want to be in every platform, but they are going to offer worse experiences. I think with Apple, it makes perfect sense. If you want the best experience, you have to buy their hardware. Yeah, that makes sense. But they're cutting themselves off because Netflix is going to deliver you a superior like experience the, for so many things. The, the, I've been talking about this a lot recently, and I think what it comes down to, at least the way I see it and the way when talking to people – Disney is an entertainment company. They've always been an entertainment company. Their whole focus is – it's so funny. Like we went to a Disney event and all the tech questions came up and like you could tell that uh, Michael Paul, who's the head of BAM Tech and who had – was like very excited. And the Disney guys were like there to listen. And then I'd be like <laughs> – I'd be like, let's talk licensing. And they were like, yes. <laughs> and like this is what we do. This is our, our movies, our TV shows. Um and Netflix started by a bunch of tech guys like yeah. Silicon Valley. came right out of Silicon Valley and – you know, it's funny, everything about the way Disney launched, people are like, this is a terrible product launch. And I was like, this is one of their first major products. Like, they, they, they're they movies. Like, they're like, we we give it to the theaters, and then they play, and then we make money. Yeah. Uh, and now it's like, okay, well, the aspect ratio is off. Why is that? I don't know. Like, people are noticing, like, there's issues that are happening, and they're like, yeah, well, we don't know. We're testing it. We're figuring it out as we go. Um, and it's like, that was the least surprising thing to me. Well, hmm. Disney's really big, so it's fair to say this is like one of their first products. But they've got the Imagineers, they like they've got the theme parks. Yeah. Like there's like real, real software and engineering and expertise that goes into all that stuff. Like they they make they make robots that flip through the air. Yeah. Like just because just they're born. It's like I was like talking to Matt Panzerino uh, from TechCrunch about this. It's like actually Disney has the one of the last pure. Go there and research and do stuff because you feel like at places you can go. They're like they're they're the new Bell Labs. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, sorry. No, I I think so. They're a big company. Like they should have just talked to those guys. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I also think like they should have. I don't know how much they talked to the BAM Tech teams about how people use streaming services, but the the way the Disney app, uh, the Disney Plus app works, it's a lot of like I don't think you know how people use streaming services. Like like, whereas Netflix feels very in tune to like how you're going to do things. It's like we know you're going to want to skip our intro. We know you're going to want to. When the credits start rolling, we're going to skip forward in five seconds. Um, even, like, the new gimmicky things you're doing where, like, the Seth Meyers thing where it's like, oh, we'll just let you skip over the Trump joke because you're just going to fast forward otherwise. Yeah. Like, we get how you – it's so intuitive. And that's something that no other streaming service has, at least at this point, um, With whereas Netflix dominates. So the, the skip intro button? In the intro to the Great British Baking Show, there is a moment where the child touches the bread and it's like – don't, don't let your kid with their dirty hands touch the bread. The skip intro button appears half a second before that scene. And so every time we watch that show, it is a game to see if you can hit the skip intro before the uh, the kid touches the bread. Is this like a riddle? What is happening it's at your amazing. house? <laughs> it doesn't appear until right before that scene. <laughs> like, it sounds like you're describing like how to get to a treasure. Like It ruins the show. One second before the child touches the Dude, bread. Like, like, how do we make the Great British Bake Off interactive <laughs> <laughs> that is the most conflict that has ever been described in the Great British Bake Off. Uh, the skip intro button in the Apple TV app uh, does not actually skip yeah. the intro. Yes, yeah, it's terrible. Thank you. It's terrible. Like I don't. It's very confusing. But that's like a, an element of this competition that I think is underreported. Like they're now delivering consumer experiences with a lot of pressure on them. 
with a lot of design competition, with yeah. a lot of feature competition. Do you think they're up for it? Them being Disney? The, the, or them, just anyone. Disney, yeah. Apple, H- the, the interface for HBO Max looks bonkers. It's a social media network. It looks yeah. like MySpace. It is ve- it is very confusing. It has stories. I'm like expecting Tom to add me as his friend. Like like it's it's just it's a yeah. It has stories. It has recommendations from Zac Efron. HBO Max in terms of interface is like the thing I'm most excited about. I just want to play with it. Like it just looks yeah. weird. It's like hey, you watch this. Do you want to download your podcast? And you're like sure, streaming service. Like <laughs> that yeah. sounds great. HBO Max. Uh, uh, just to highlight what you were saying, has a podcast player in it. Great. Because um, they make all their interconnected. They have, they have stories so that when you're, like, looking for the thing, you can, like, watch a Zac Efron video blog about uh-huh. his recommendations. Yeah. Can you imagine being the person at HBO, like, the, the 22-year-old intern who's, like, texting Zac Efron's manager being, like, did Zac do his blog today? Like, that's where they're, that's that's what they're trying to build. The interesting thing is that HBO wants to super push human curation, which is funny because it's the thing we talk about the most with Netflix's algorithm, which is like, why didn't people watch this? And it's like, well, they rely on their algorithm for everything in the way that like we talk about YouTube relying on the algorithm for everything. So HBO's whole thing is we're going to curate it for you. And they were talking about this on stage at a recent uh, media day for the HBO Max when they were unveiling it. And I couldn't help but picture the worst part of, like, <laughs> my life when one of my exes had an Xbox and everything was controlled by, hey, Xbox, can you do this? And I would have to be like, Xbox, can you turn on Netflix? Xbox, can you do this? And I hated it because I hated having to interact personally with the Xbox. <laughs> and the way HBO Max sold it was like, we're going to personally talk to you about everything. And like, I don't want that. Yeah. I want to, like, come home. And like eat a burrito and just scroll through something until I fall asleep. Yeah, the last thing you want is your TV recognizing your humanity because then you have to pay attention to it. And you're like, why am I watching TV? Ex- ex- yes. <laughs> All right. We've really fully off the rails. Sorry. Julia, let's end it. Well, we ended with <laughs> I don't want my television to recognize my humanity, which I feel really synthesizes something deep about the streaming wars. The way to reclaim power over the Xbox in that relationship is that Xbox recognizes snake's butts as a wake word. So just letting you know. In case it comes up again. I don't, I, I, again, would like to apologize to the audience. Don't know how that one got through. All right. Let's wrap it up, Julia. It's Go90 scale time. Oh, I love it. If you are aware of the Go90 scale of Doom streaming services, it's how we, how we evaluate streaming services. You can go from zero, or you can go 90, which is death. (laughs) So that's the scale. Zero to 90, to gone 90. Disney Plus, where are they at in the scale right now? 10. Yeah. Yeah, they're fine. Disney's got fine. Disney content. Netflix. Wait, is 10 win 10 or is die? Good. 10 is good. Okay. Yeah. Zero is like guaranteed survival. Why doesn't forever. it go to 90? It oh, it does, does go to 90. 90 10. is got death. It. Got it. The scale is confusing. Okay. <laughs> okay, Netflix. 20. Inching closer to death. Yeah, until they figure out their original content plan. Apple TV Plus. Apple TV Plus, content-wise, like 60, 70. Apple TV Plus, in terms of it being a successful thing, because it's part of Apple's ecosystem, like 40. Yeah, that's that that's that monopoly boost on yeah. the ninety scale. Yeah, that's like a it's like a chip you can play. Yeah. <laughs> You're like pff, monopoly boost. Peacock, f- Peacock, solid hundred. Peacock is NBC Universal streaming service. It is designed to make you buy cable, which NBC is owned by Comcast. You understand why it would be designed. A division of Comcast, Comcast Ventures, is an investor in our parent company, Vox Media. Also, NBC itself. NBC itself. Sorry, everybody. They don't love us. No. It's not. <laughs> It's fine. Everything's gonna be fine. If you don't, if you don't hear from us next week, <laughs> please tell my family. All, of them. all right, it's a. We're gonna have you on a lot. The streaming wars have, are in full force. Verizon just stumbling about the battlefield. <laughs> Thank you so much, Julia. We gotta go. 
You can tweet at us. I'm at Reckless. Dieter's Backlon. Julia's Loudmouth Julia. Paul is Future Paul. I want to tell you something. We're doing something special in the Virtualcast feature Thanksgiving. We're doing a mini series about pirate radio. We've got three incredible stories about pirate radio culture. There's DJs in Afghanistan who were provided equipment by the United States during a propaganda effort, and then the United States left, and they had to leave. Amazing story. We've got Hmong people in the Midwest who use phone conference lines to distribute radio programming, like party, like conference call software. It's amazing. And the, there's a bill in Congress called the Pirate Act that will crack down on pirate radio throughout the United States. It's leading to repercussions with like Caribbean broadcasters and queens. That sounds, All wild that stories. That sounds awful. Um, <laughs> you, we set up our own party line so you can call in and listen to these episodes. We're printing a zine. Whoa. Uh, it's super cool to be on the site. There's going to be features on the site. That first episode is coming Tuesday the 19th. Stay tuned for that. I also want to tell you to listen to Reset from our friends at Vox and Recode. It's hosted by Ariel Dehem Ross, ex-Verge reporter, one of our very favorites. It's about a broad definition of tackling in science, medicine, politics. Now it comes out Tuesday, Thursdays, and Sundays. Subscribe to Dieter's newsletter. It's at theverge.com slash newsletter. And we'll be back very soon on the Vergecast Rock and Roll. Paul. Promo code. 